<laughs> I mean, I'm just happy if this becomes a DAO because then we're finally actually a DAO and, you know, then the meme is complete. Don't let your memes be dreams. We can answer the big question. Is it a DAO? Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast from independent validator teams. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast from independent validator teams. Um, we have Sporthy with us this week to tell us everything we missed at the recent slew of European conferences that we were not at. Obviously, we had sneaking up from behind me last week a friend of the show, Jake, who could have told us a lot more about Awesome Wasm other than the Mesh demo. Um, but essentially the osmosis cape was i think too much of a fun prop to actually be able to get any reasonable discussion about um, those conferences which i'm assured were very good so we reached out to spoo because we thought spoo actually will be able to sort of present a uh, a reasonable summary and digest of, of of what actually happened but first in the true spirit of ignoring the guest for the first period of the show <laughs> we have oh we have a, a slightly edited from last week Noel's News Corner, which I'm not going to update, but I will for next week. Noel, do you want to take it away? What's happened this week? First of all, I fucking hate the banner man. I just, I hate banners. Um, you know, it's funny that Spoo was actually here before we went live and we haven't said anything to her or whatsoever because we were talking about something else. <laughs> um. Anyway, first the news. So I have a few items that I have collected whilst, what was the term, the fray? Doing Twitter on the shitter? Zitting on, zitter on the... Jitter, zitter on the shitter? <laughs> I'm not relevant. I don't know how, what the kids are saying. Spoo, do you know? Is it, do we zit now? Is it zitter? Is it just X? What, what's the deal? No, no, you just moved to Blue Sky. Or how? Probably blue what? sky though. Let's be honest. Um, so there you are. Did anybody try threads? What's that? Threads. Threads. It, it's the Meta's alternative to Twitter. I thought threads oh. was the, wasn't threads the 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 film about um, the what happens after in after World War Three. This really okay. So this is again phrase film corner, but. I'm pretty sure Threads is the name of this super fucking dark BBC or like British TV thing that's like really harrowing from like 1985, all about what happens if if England gets bombed with a nuclear weapon during World War Three, and, and nothing good is the answer. It's really horrible, um, but it, I feel like it feels like a thing we were shown in school, you know, like Watership Down, you know, just to fucking make the kids have like PTSD. This is hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes. Hundred percent. There you go. It's good. It's, it's certified fresh, certified harrowing. It's a British-Australian sci-fi movie, a war. Hitting all of our demographics here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what happened? Yeah, okay, first, first the news. So, so this week has been like just a shit show of exploits and rugs. Um and apologies if my internet goes out. I'm seeing the little uh, the little connection issue thing come up in the corner, so it could die at any time. 
Um, so the first one I have on my list is the white whale DeFi. Uh, I don't know what you'd call this, a rug, a hack. It's not really like it was an exploit of a hot wallet, but it wasn't really an exploit because it was just like an old employee or something that had the uh, the mnemonic for a hot wallet. So I guess you would put this down to like poor security practice. But uh, anyway, what happened was that there was a hot wallet for Osmo incentives. So from the main multi-sig, 3 million uh, whales were transferred to the hot wallet and then someone who had access to the hot wallet noticed, I guess they were watching that wallet. So I guess they were probably waiting for an opportunity for this for a while. Uh, They transferred it and dumped it uh, and tanked the price 25%. So... So for somebody that's not on White Whale, um, do you say 3 million? 3 million tokens. So it's like 3 million tokens. What what, what is the value here we're talking? Because we're bear market, right? Yeah, yeah, 70 grand. It's still, you know, it's half a Land Cruiser. Honest day's work. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's no no, no laughing matter. Um, It's a fair amount of money. And, you know, the user's... I guess ultimately pay for that. So, yeah, that is item one. Any comments on that? There is lack of dowification. I mean that. So the fact that they just reused an old wallet with shared mnemonics, I think, is uh, not the greatest. Man, take the banner down. It just it's annoying to people. I'm sure if you did a survey of people that this is annoying to, it would be a hundred percent. You know very well, Nile, that we have more listeners on podcast players than we do on the live show. And so <laughs> repeatedly referring to the banner that is annoying you is just alienating those people listening later who are wondering, what is this? What are you talking about? Those people who are listening later are going to be so chuffed that they don't have to look at that fucking banner. <laughs> That's may as be, but the banner stays. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, keep the banner. All right. Okay, so um, I mean that I was hoping for some discussion on that. You seem to just be like listening, but got nothing to say. So I guess I'll move on to the next thing. Seeing as my my panelists don't give a what fuck. Is, I mean, like you know, it's a rug. We've seen a rug before. What was the first episode of this? Was baby's first rug pull, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could be like, oh, this is how they could improve their security, or why would they do that, or I don't know, shit on them. I'd- well, I mean, the irony here, right? I suppose if you go like do, you go do like some corporate contract or right, whatever, like which is you know what I've been doing recently, and like everybody's fucking obsessed with like um, JML, you know, like joiners, movers, leavers, and that stuff. They're like, oh my god, if somebody leaves, then like we need to immediately get them off our systems. Otherwise five minutes later, they're going to access our GitLab and they're going to take down our middle market e-commerce site. And you're like, I mean, yeah, you should have a policy in place, but it's probably not your number one. Like don't procure software just to worry about that one problem. Just hire people that are not going to, you know, fuck you and and don't fire people like for no fucking reason. So they'll have a grievance against you. Like would be my, advice to you rather than making a big deal out of this but then you know the irony here is like we're actually in a space where that shit really really matters and of course everybody's just like yolo yolo i mean yeah it's like the fact that that is a thing that they have to just rug them from all of the systems as they're 
firing people is just, I don't know, it really says something about the character of people these days, doesn't it? That there's that many people who would be willing to just be malicious upon being fired. It's No, it's a very old... I mean, well, f- first of all, the whole malicious thing, like... Like walk out burning the castle, like... Yeah, I mean... I mean, fuck the system, right? I mean, you know, there's two types of people in the world, right? There's masters and there's workers, but I don't know. Like, you know, in the back, there's a great interview with the guy who wrote Fight Club where he basically talked about after he wrote the book, everywhere he went in the world, people were like, oh yeah, you know, the scene when like people, like the, the waiters fuck with the food and stuff like that. People people would just come to him and be like, oh yeah, man, when when I worked this job, I used to fuck with the, the people that ate there all the time by doing this or that. Or, oh yeah, I used to work at this company and we built like this kind of software and we just put in this bug that crashed it every four hours because fucking why not? Nobody would ever find that bug. And like he had this whole like fucking binder of random malicious shit people just did because they fucking hated their jobs. And it was kind of funny, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so... But I mean, this is like, this is criminality, I think is the thing. It's not just like, um, you know, being like, oh, I'm going to change somebody's password on my way out the door because they haven't, like, or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like. Um, Slash the boss's tires, shit on the windscreen. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like smashing the printer in office space, is it? It's like quite a different, it's $70,000 worth of criminality. <laughs> that is also one of my favorite movies, by the way, Office Good Space. Film um okay well moving on to an exploit well i mean so this is this one's kind of funny this was on uh the ethereum network and there was an exploit and some mev happening at the same time which i found quite hilarious so firstly there were some exploits in the curve pools i believe uh not a hundred percent on what happened there with the exploits. Maybe someone in the um, comments actually knows exactly what happened with the exploits. But when they were being executed, I think someone had some bots running which noticed the uh, transactions were going to result in like an exploit, and then front run those transactions in the same block, uh, which I'm not sure if there were like multiple people trying to front run each other or if they just wanted to be absolutely fucking sure that, oh, yeah, Coffee Babe ETH bots, yeah. So I tried to look up that Coffee Babe ETH and could not find anything. Like it's not a Twitter handle and the domain does nothing. So I guess that's just, I don't know, is that like a a, a Reddit Twitter uh, account or something? Anyway, so... What it basically resulted in was just massive, like uh, gas fees being paid to make sure that they 100% front run the transactions. So, like the highest one was 584 ETH paid as a fee. So the the person who actually produced that block got the 584 ETH for that transaction. So it was 584 for one block, 343 for another. 247 for another and 51 for another that were all paid as fees. So that's like, what, about a thousand ETH paid in fees, 1100 paid in fees. So that's, so somebody who, I, so I am not 100% sure how the whole MEV party works in that particular scenario. 
So some validator just netted a thousand ETH for that block. A couple of like it was subsequent blocks, so it'd be various validators. But yeah, validators netted a thousand ETH in fees over the the duration of the exploit. So there was a conversation earlier about why lawyers in this space are expensive. And I believe I said to you, it's not worth having cheap lawyers if you work in crypto. This is a prime example of why, right? If you ever have to fucking explain that. Yeah, so why did your company um, process those blocks that were massive criminality and like handled an exploit and made a bunch of people a load of money and ripped off a bunch of people? And it seems like you also profited and you're like, ah, well, (laughs) so we're not, it's not conspiracy because we had no idea. We were just fucking signing blocks, YOLO. But you also made like a hundred grand. Yeah. yeah so the, the yes, thing is, like, yeah. I mean, it's it's proceeds of a hack, right? It's literally now. criminal <laughs> proceeds. But you're yeah. like, yeah. What the fuck? I mean, I like. It's an interesting precedent. What the fuck would you have to? What? What? Yeah. I mean, it's not like you can give it back, is it? I, was, I guess I feel like could. somebody would maybe make you try. So it's easier to get it back off you than it is the hacker. Yeah, I mean, I I read through like a lot of comments regarding this and people, I mean, people were shitty that the validator got that. um, I don't know if it's just like, oh, could have been me type thing, but people are definitely shitty that the validator took home, for example, 584 ETH in one block. So, uh, yeah, lucky that uh, validators are pretty anon, right, in ETH. They might be getting some hate mail. Yeah, maybe uh, more than more than hate mail, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I'm not sure what the actual maybe I don't. So Reese says that Reen Trancy attack. So I guess that's some sort of known attack uh, for the for it the re-entrancy. Oh, re oh, reentrancy re reentrancy re <laughs> What is what happens if it, if you don't have atomicity in a block? Yeah, okay, that's above my pay grade, but uh, definitely, I guess, makes it possible to steal lots of ETH and then get it taken away by the validator. Um, so I think I did read, so I'm not sure if it was related, but I read something it's basically, else. It's basically the summary is like if you if you have a hook in a con, let's say you have like a hook in a contract and it means that another contract can effectively call into that contract and do additional behavior you then have a potential loop there, don't you? So there's there's a whole bunch of conditional additional stuff you could do um, kind of as a kind of side effect of the original is the best way to explain it. Whereas like if you have like, um, like a more atomic model, you have a set of calls that succeed or fail and the side, well, so the difficulty here right is that there's a thing called the halting problem so like kind of fundamentally in computer science you can't actually know that a computer program will succeed fail halt or run forever whatever like you just can't know it's not actually possible to know um but you can very heavily limit down the chance of bad stuff happening by design to only a space where it's the possibility of like um i guess like a vm level bug so only a bug could elicit the behavior where you could do out of bound behavior that isn't defined um so cosmos what i think reese is referring to is that kind of cosmos and by design has an actor model um so this kind of attack um 
is significantly harder to do because it's been designed out of the system. However, there are still callback based out of there are still callback based attacks that can happen and have happened because the July 27th Juno attack which was last year over a year ago now um was in fact an example of that behavior because or it wasn't a reentrancy attack exactly but it was um it was that he used a callback into a contract to do undefined behavior and then trigger behavior that wasn't expected as a result of bugs in the FFI. Well, in the, in the kind of interface between um, Rust and Go. I've probably explained that really badly, um, but I don't see Spoo shaking her head. So we'll assume that's a reasonable, <laughs> reasonably digestible explanation um, of what happened there. I did tune out a little bit, so... Well, I'm going to say that you, you're, you're the you're the you're the you're the superior authority on the go side of that of that system boundary. So I'm going to say that Spoo agreed with my rough summary, and that's so. Uh, he's like, if you ain't going to talk to me, I ain't going to fucking listen. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's a big like. It's, there's the, there's a few things in the solidity in the design of solidity that essentially do mean that you can rug yourself more easily, and they've been designed out in Cosmwasm, they've been designed out in Move. Um, so mo- a lot of smart contracting systems, VMs, runtimes that have happened since are kind of aware of that as like an attack vector in a big way, um, which is why you know, these attacks are going to keep happening in one way. Like various types of re-entrancy attack are going to happen in Solidity because it's just, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's, it's much more trivial than that system. Okay, so back to the news. <laughs> I, I think in the Cosmosm website, there's an entire page dedicated to why reentrance is not possible. Like, an entire page of docs dedicated to this because it's such a big problem. And so we'll them, I'll go and find them and put them in the show notes. I know the page. I know the page of which you speak. I'm sure people are going to find that riveting. <laughs> um, all right. So in other news, and coincidentally, it's Ethereum's sixth birthday this week. So happy birthday, Ethereum. I wish I had like a party popper or something. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> the fray uh, for all those um, listening to this podcast is now deep in search for this page so that he can add it to the uh, the show notes. So uh, in other news, the apparently Coinbase has their own chain now called Base. Spook, do you know? Is it called Base? I think it's called Base. I think this was announced a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah. It's not. Uh, so this is new to me. I now know that they have a chain called <laughs> Base, uh, which I'm sure is just a repository of shit coins. Um, and anyway, there was a shit coin that launched on Base called Bald. Um, I'm surprised that uh, Rama was not onto this straight away. Um But this coin was listed and everybody was very excited about it because of the depth of liquidity uh, that this coin had in comparison to other shit coins. And so um, ultimately it was a rug, but it was a pretty like, you know, it was a pretty well executed rug where the person who created it, you know, hyped it, added a heap of liquidity uh, and then was buying it themselves to pump up the price 
and then let it have a pretty good run up on price and then gave it a little bit and then added more liquidity and then bought more of it to bait more people into buying it as another pump where it doubled and then immediately rugged out all of the liquidity. So I think they put in like a fair amount of capital for this particular rug. I think it was something like $12 million worth of capital to actually perform the rug. And I think they made maybe like half a million dollars or something like that. But it that seems like to me $12.5 million in Reese says. I mean, maybe Reese should do Null's News Corner. He seems to know all the news far better than me. Um, but in any case, I think he walked away with maybe, oh, okay, so Reese says they made $20 million profit. That is pretty good um, in terms of profit. But I was I thought that only made like half a million or something like that. I was going to say, is it really worth the capital if you're only making sort of like half a million dollars with that amount of capital, with that amount of risk? But I mean, if they made that much, then yeah. Worth it for them, not so much for the users they rugged. <laughs> uh, Reese says he's the intern. Maybe you should like give me a summary before the... Uh, the potty to some extent we're all the intern we are all the intern um all right so once again the week of rugs and i do have another piece of news here that i made a note about um however is another I, rug? Uh, i'm gonna have to just quickly review this if you want to say a few words in the meantime because i forgot what it was about i can talk about oh, no. further this, about reentrancy attacks if you like no this this was exactly no. about the uh this was just more info on that particular rug in this this one uh, little uh, what no there was I don't know what's going on here I'm not very good at the internet okay oh yeah so uh, I mean this one's not like anything really new so this was more about the SEC uh, telling Coinbase that they need to delist everything other than Bitcoin <laughs> because you know everything's a security unless it's Bitcoin. But that's old news. They've been doing that for years. Yeah. I mean, that's been for a while. So, And that is all the items of interest that I put together this week. So over to you, the fray. <laughs> so I've come up with a more succinct explanation for the re-entrancy thing. And it is simply that Solidity allows you to call into another contract and trigger execution. Whereas the way that Rust, essentially the in in Cosmosm, everything's modeled as Rust results, kind of a chain of monads, but that's not really important. Each execution succeeds or fails, but they are all chained together. So when you call another contract, it's actually just another thing stuck on the chain. And then they all, all those, all those things have to succeed together, although they occur in a sequence in a chain. So it's less likely that you'll have out of bound behavior. Um, and in addition, when contracts call into your contract, you have to provide a hook for it where you define the behavior in a really specific way. So it's less likely that you get called in some really random way um, because you have to be called with a payload that's serialized and then validated by your contract within certain bounds. Now, of course, you could have like a bug in your serialization library and then you'd still kind of be fucked potentially without bound behavior, but it makes it less likely again. So it's this is this kind of putting guardrails in by design, but you're still... You claiming anything is one hundred percent safe is obviously just like not correct because there's always bugs at the edge of the system. But that's the summary. Actually, I heard this really simple ELI five about reentry, uh, um, reentrancy attacks. So this is an example in which, you, let's say, you want to throw a basketball into the basket, 
and you clearly don't know how to do it. So there is like a professional basketball player in front of you. So in traditional way, you just pass the ball to that person and they throw it and then succeed success. But the way Solidity does it is instead of you passing it to them, uh, you kind of borrow their skill set for a while so Steve, that you can you show it. Your mic? I mean, this is you, my mic. You might be on the mic you might be on the laptop and not on the thing or the other way around. Ah, let me check. You're roboting a tiny bit. Hello. Hello. Okay. Yeah, so the way Solidity does it is you want to throw the basket into the hoop, but you don't have the skill set. So you just kind of borrow the skill set of this professional player. But in that case, you don't actually need to give them the ball. You can just borrow the skill set and throw it yourself. But what Solidity does is you aim to borrow the skill set, but you're also giving them the ball in the process. So now they can do whatever they want with that. So even though the that's the flaw of the architecture, that you only need to borrow their skill, you don't need to give them the ball to actually do it. Because you're handing them the power of execution in the runtime, essentially. Yeah. So if they do out-of-bound behavior, you don't have control over it. Whereas what you want to do is have as much control as you can have over out-of-bound behavior. Yeah, okay, your explanation is a lot better than mine. Yeah, this was yeah. like ELI5 yeah. when I learned how reentrancy works because there are, there's just so much jargon you get into it, especially Ethereum-specific jargon. Do you understand it now, Now, No. <laughs> okay, Spoo, have another go. I, 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 get it, I believe. No, 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 I, I get it. So hang on, well, maybe. So what you're saying is that basically a contract gives some control to another contract to do something for them, but they give them too much control and then they can do stuff with it. Is that what you're saying? For the for the audience that can't see this, Spoo is nodding that I sort of get it, but not really. <laughs> like her head's nodding, but the look on her face is like, <laughs> who is this guy? So that's the entrancy <laughs> covered, done, done and dusted. Um, we've got a couple of important items be- before proceeding. One of them involves Spoo, the other one doesn't. We'll do the non-spoo one first because then we can actually just like actually go on to spoo section. The first one is drill tweet of the week, which this week comes from the tough guys section. And I'm sorry, I can't I can't replicate Jake's energy, but I've taken off my shirt over a thousand times. Sorry, over ten thousand times. There you go. That's the tweet. I mean, that's a lot of times to count. So you yeah. said that was from the tough guy section. From There's the a tough whole- guy section. There's a whole section dedicated to tough guys. That must be a tough guy thing to do, to take off your shirt a lot. I feel like you have moved away from the random drill tweet of the week into a curated drill tweet of the week, seeing as though you went straight to that. I mean, it wasn't particularly random, I guess, in the sense because I just flicked through the book and I guess if if I was going to be completely random about it, I would know how many pages were there and I would use a random number generator to generate the page, right? And then just... Where would you get your entropy? <laughs> Noise Network. Um, Noise. <laughs> the the League of Entropy would furnish me with the entropy required. No, I would go to the fucking console and type RAND. RAND. Like YOLO. <laughs> Move your mouse um, around a little bit. Every single programming language has some random has a random function but but a lot of them call out to the system clock and, and other random bullshit so they're not like um 
I mean, yeah, randomness, I mean is a, randomness, as we've established, is a pretty comp- complicated concept. I defer to Simon Water on this um, and the many, many books and whatnot. Uh, I I don't I I don't like to pretend I understand randomness particularly well. Although I have read a book on the subject uh, called The Drunkard's Walk, which I'd recommend. Um, I like when you used to generate some keys, some SSH keys. You'd have to like move your mouse around to generate some entropy. That was always <laughs> fun. But I don't know. They they moved away from that, right? I haven't done that in a while. I can't even remember the last time that happened. I don't know if that's just particular systems or uh, it's probably Windows, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, can confirm it's how it works on Windows. Oh, it's a Windows thing no, because yeah. there's no there's no other available source of randomness. I guess so you got to move your mouse around. <laughs> Maybe it just like uh, time since last fucking crash would be pretty random for Windows. Well, it'd be it'd be pretty uh, <laughs> pretty low number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so. A piece of non-news, but also non-why we got Spoo on the on the show this week is uh, when Spoo was last on, which was I think a couple of months ago, maybe a bit longer actually. Uh, in the after show, we were talking about keyboards because obviously there's a lot of interest in the thing you use all day, every day. And Spoo was talking about getting a. I was like, "Can I dock Spoo's keyboard?" I've gotten so fucking paranoid. This is what crypto does. You, I'm like, oh, I can't say the name of the keyboard. Fucking what the hell, man? So th- this is a. What is your keyboard speed? I think it's called Charabdis. Charabdis. But I have two right now because this is too bulky to move with me. I have a portable one. Mm, that is also from from the same guys, the bastard keyboard guys. Well, you got, wait, so you got you got a portable one too. Is it the same model? No, no, no. Uh, that's the dilemma. Oh wow! I've not seen that. So that's yeah. a, that's a little bit like a, a little bit like a KRKBD. Well, what's that? Hang on. We, sorry, we got we got to go. You got to. You, what what are those? What are those pad things? Is that a? This is oh, this is the trackpad, like a mouse. It's got a trackpad. Yes, that's why I got this. Fuck, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Damn. So there's that that. That's what, like a thirty-eight key or something split ergo. Yeah, 30, yeah, thirty-eight. Damn. Okay, that's really fucking cool. I it getting that small. It's you know when you lose the control key on the outside. That as soon as I lose control and escape, that's when suddenly it, I I can't fucking function anymore. So uh, my control is actually what is S in a traditional keyboard. So I just tap and hold for control. Because my fingers oh, so are always like there a, anyway. So you have like a mod? Yeah, yeah. Like I use a custom key map. So my S and my K from a traditional keyboard would be my control. Interesting. That's that's cool. But I'm also a fucking dickhead who likes to have, I like to have a different uh, key switch on shift. I like it to be really heavy. It's like a 90 gram linear, just like, ooh, you know, you've really got to move that key. Whereas all the others are like, speedy boys so that's another thing you can do when you have like dedicated yeah uh, i do i do have a heavier um kale gold for the cube because uh, um nice I keep pressing it by mistake when i'm playing overwatch and i keep alting when i don't intend to so. wait, wait, you're gaming with it too that's pretty hardcore oh uh, so that is okay so i'm currently not on that currently i am still on my moonlander <laughs> uh and of course the moonlander Super cool as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I actually reached out to the CEO 
And he responded to my email. I'm like, can you stop making ductile keyboards? Because I really love your build qualities. And then they were like, oh, you don't think there's enough market for that? What, for dactyls? Yeah. Which like is... loads, loads of people make dactyls. And you know, yeah, Kinesis, think... Kinesis have just released a new one. Yeah. Like a... yeah, but... yeah. Yeah, I saw that. But I think all the people who are into these things would rather customize it completely for themselves like even this is not exactly end game for me this is going to be like penultimate end game and then i'm going to do like the full nerd where i track my fingers and see how long and the dexterity of movement and custom design the case i i already so i also got a keyboard from the same place uh i got the tbk mini which is essentially a krkbd like this. Oh, okay. yeah. This is a cust- this is a custom one I built myself. Um, but it's essentially this, but in tented bowl form. So similar to Spoo's. Um, I have stubby little fingers though, like real stubby little boys and stubby little thumbs. It's hard to tell on the camera, but I um I can't fucking reach the bottom key on, <laughs> on this on this. It's like tented and fancy, and you're like, oh, this is very ergonomic. And I can't fucking hit the enter uh... button because my thumbs are too small. the the same happened with moonlander the most furthest away keys they just so i just use them for things i don't normally do like print screen because i might just take my hand off of the keyboard for that yeah it kind of makes me think that maybe maybe i kind of already peaked with because the krkbd just flat on the table very i have it set up so it's very slightly angled it just has legs that just made me it's slightly angled this way this way and for whatever reason, it's just the right size for my hands. It's super crowded together, but like have stubby little hands. And I think that actually maybe over-optimizing beyond this point is not going to work unless I go like full, measure my fucking hand, learn 3D printing, learn. I think just... it's quite easy because uh, the place where you got it from, all the uh, the 3D printing files, everything is open source. So you just have to like move things around. That is true. So, I mean, originally I was thinking I should do it for the dactyl because it's all written in closure. And like, I'm one of the few fucking weirdos that's actually worked many years of their life in that programming language. So could totally modify it and build my own keyboard. But I'm, I've got to a point of laziness with it. I built, I think one, two, I don't know. I want to say there's about six or seven keyboards knocking around here on the shelves and whatnot. And you kind of get, you know, you get to like 90% there. I think like maybe 90, 95% there is the point where I get off on the over-optimization train. I don't know. Mm. It sounds like you're prepared to go a lot deeper than I am. That's kind of my feeling. I can see it in your eyes. You're not going to take no for an answer on that final 10%. No, I'm just like, I'm just going to try it as long as my mental malleability hasn't died off. So however long that takes. Because I, I moved from QWERTY to Colmac about one and a half years ago. And that felt, that is the toughest thing in life that I've done. Like the, the way you feel when your fingers are doing not what you want them to do, your brain and your body are doing completely different things. It, it, it was a, it was a weirdest. And I feel like it was kind of fun though. So I'm like, maybe, maybe I should try more. How do you deal when you're just having to type on a regular laptop oh that, that's actually easy somehow my brain is like oh if you're on a split keyboard you're on Colmac. if you're on a membrane keyboard it's qwerty so it works both ways 
Okay, that's that's great because like I, this is going back a few years when I first got into like building my own keyboards. I was like, do I switch? And I was just like, I spend half of my week on like just like no, like I'm not going to have a choice. I'm going to have to be on a QWERTY keyboard, and I, I I bottled it. But you're telling me that I could have just changed years ago, and I've just wasted five years of my life. Cool. I, I think Good. it's still possible. I asked one of my colleagues. He's like 45, I think. And he was able to switch the call back into Hey, come on. I'm not 45. What do I look like? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying, like, a person older than you could do it easily in two weeks. So it should be fine. Uh, that's I, I, I like the, the vote of support, but maybe. I don't know. I, I fear it now. This may, maybe it's but, but call is easy. Call like. is easy because your shortcuts almost all say, say the same. So your control C all that stays Dvorak might be too much though but also i don't think it's very useful like null over here still trying to figure out how to use a qwerty keyboard i mean we only got to control an r last week didn't we control an a control an e yeah all very uh all very handy thank you i'm guessing that like your workload this week took probably like 20 minutes compared to the week before like now you know control r you're just like this validator shit's easy why is everybody complaining about it being loads of work i mean i forgot about the control r as well i had to go back and look up the show notes so but it did it did save you time right like it was pretty marginal (laughs) (laughs) like to to be honest my uh history gripping was reasonably good to begin with so uh you know it does does it save time yes is it world changing for me no i mean the control a is handy though that's that is definitely handy fair enough like wait till you learn about regular expressions although to be fair again it's very i pretty much only use regular expressions when i'm manipulating data to do my taxes so you know i mean i already know about regular expressions i use them i fucking hate them um you hate i hate it. how they well i hate how they're implemented into software as a regular you're, you're gonna have to um expand on that a bit for example statement <laughs> well i just for example like in zabbix right you can use uh you know how do you know a guy who uses zabbix if i can talk about it no, if i can tell you <laughs> <laughs> um you know you, you can you can have filtering with regular expression but it doesn't seem to be like there's different kinds of regular expression like how you use it so i think the way zabbix uses it is more like um how you would use it in Perl or something like that so i don't know it's confusing to me because if i go to like a one of those um websites where you can just put in your regex regex like your your data and then your regex expression and it'll like you know, filter the data live so you can see if your expression works or not. And then, you know, I can't just copy paste that into, you know, the other thing. It's like, no, that's not a regex expression. So I don't know. I need to. Well, it's not a regex. Exactly it's a doing. regex. So that's because it's regular oh, expressions. <laughs> Sorry. I, I say regular. <laughs> <laughs> regex yeah so i don't know i'm dumb with regex i'm gonna i'm gonna try and say that properly for you now spoo uh so it's it's very much a me thing probably but i find it frustrating so i mean you could just look up a pearl regex tester on online 
And then you can test your regex is like easy peasy. <clears throat> regex. <laughs> sometimes one, sometimes the other. Spice of life. Um, so have Spoo and I convince you to get an ergonomic ortholinear. Uh, oh, what's the what's the third category? Because they're bold as well, aren't they? Tented? No. Well, this tactile, there's uh, the stagger, like columnar versus row stagger. So it's columnar, staggered, ortholinear, ergonomic, 10 keyless. With I a thumb cluster. Thumb cluster keyboard. Have we convinced you to get one now? So all the buzzwords are there pretty much. There may be more keyboard buzz keyboard buzzwords, but I'm not certain there are. I feel like whilst this gentleman that Spoo is referring to was able to make the transition, I've, I I also like I feel like there's quite a lot of work involved in that. Um like not just using it. Like I feel like if he was able to make the transition, he probably spent a fair amount of time sitting there practicing. And I don't really have time for practice on things. Like I've, you know, gotten out the the typing, uh, you know, practice thing to try and improve my typing. But then at pretty short point after that, realized that in reality, do I really sit there and bash out 10,000 words. Do I really need to be able to type that quick? And then so I decided that the investment of time for the benefit of that time use was not really worth it. Uh, do I need an ergonomic keyboard? I don't think so. I don't really you like... Can, you, don't, you can keep an, a normal key map though. You can just customize a key map to what you use most often. I mean, yeah, I just, I don't... I don't feel like it's going to benefit me that much that I would bother. That's not to shit on the You can start slow. Without split, just ortholinear, there's one called Plank by ZSA, which is which is like a normal keyboard. It's just ortholinear instead of rose tagger. So ortholinear is the hardest individual trans, um, thing to get used to, I think, probably. I don't know what you think, Spoo. But like, it's so weird the first time you're like, because you're used to just doing that slight, yeah, like this on a normal keyboard, yeah. and you're like, yeah, actually, uh, huh? I I think for me the split was the hardest part because I did not learn typing the right way, so I was using wrong fingers for like B and you know G, and I would try to type it, but it's on the other half of the keyboard when I split it. So mm. so if you are not accurately typing, that would be the most difficult part, I think. I mean, I use this piece of shit, so. You know, so, Dell, uh, Dell, twenty bucks. One of the big things that that is genuinely useful, right, is that you are at your desk all day and you are interacting with the computer in some way. And yes, we are cult. We are selling you keyboards. We're not the Jehovah's Witnesses. We're worse. We are the key, the custom keyboard club. Sorry, no. But like, for example, just looking at my desk here, I have my keyboard spaced like that, like pretty much sort of together that far apart when they're on the tabletop so and facing in like that so my hands are what would it be like that that's how i type with a split keyboard whereas on a normal keyboard you have to kind of type like that and like that i don't know it's just like that's how your body wants to have your hands sat on the table and it's it's really until you have it you don't know you need it and then you're just like oh it's just like 
one less thing you're straining your body with throughout the course of the working day. You're just like, my hands are in a place that makes sense to me while I'm typing. Like, which in my case is like fingers almost touching, but still sort of separate on two different pieces. I don't know. Do you set yours up like, like that spoo or are you like, so I've seen some people with them out, which is crazy to me, but, or are you kind of inward? Mine is like this, but like this. So it's oh, because you are tensing to... as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But I got into everlucky ones because I developed RSI, and that was that got so bad I couldn't even use the keyboard for two weeks because the pain over here was too bad, and I had to do like a bunch of physiotherapy to fix that. So I was like, I, I need to get into this for health sake. So. I'm not like I'm not shitting on people who do use like these types of keyboards. All I'm saying is that I think the time cost to benefit from me in particular is not really like worth it at the moment. Maybe if I get RSI, it might be worth it at that point. But like I said, I, I don't really sit there bashing out like heaps on my keyboard anyway. I'm more of a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> Think yeah, about doing that and then that don't. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I guess like one of the things I do is write reports and write stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I write, I guess I, I, in fact, I know I can look at the word count of what I've typed today, which is 3,840 words. So I, I guess like I'm going to be more on it because like I like Spoo, I got, um, I got a really bad RSI in my thumb from actually from cycling because I cycle a lot. And um, it meant I couldn't type super well it was kind of like this whole this hand was just a bit got a bit weird like it just didn't have much like i don't know it sounds really weird to be like yeah you kind of felt like it was hard to type like it was functionally hard to type it wasn't like i was dropping stuff on the floor like an old person but just like certain skill activities my hand was just like not really 100 percent. anyway we've talked about keyboards a lot well hang on what well, so, one one final thought is that you know, while I'm thinking about it, I think that maybe if typing was like typing fast and ergonomics was a big issue for me, I think that I might like probably spend time learning how to dictate to like an AI interpreter better than actually type. So I don't have to use my hands at all uh, and then just do the amendments that I need with the keyboard. I think that would be a better way for me than trying to learn some crazy bullshit. So. I think that's fine for language, but for code, that might be very difficult. I'll have you know, Sporthy, that I don't do that much coding. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the flip side of that, I guess, is that, you know, to your point, Noel, I can think of probably only three times in my career where this, my speed of typing had really any meaningful impact on my work as a programmer. Yeah, I mean... You very so rarely specific- need to type super fast as a programmer. You need to type accurately. And yeah, specifically for me doing any type of code, my hand speed is not the problem. Like I think it's that's more- the same for most people writing code. I mean, like even if you crank out a thousand lines in a day or more, like a lot of what you're doing, you're like type, 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 tab, 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 type, type, type. You know, there's lots of like the number of words you would write to write a thousand lines of code is probably only 2000 words or something. It's like substantially less than the equivalent natural language. So I would like a day in the seat for me of trying to like, I'm, I'm air quoting to those who can't see this code. 
would be me like scribbling on a piece of paper to work out what I want to do and then sort of just doing that slowly. I don't really like have any reason to be able to type code fast because anything that I'm doing is not like a complex program. It's just something small that is more of like me figuring out how to do the small thing than actually typing the small thing. So yeah, yeah code wise, I don't need to, I don't need to be fast at all. I actually, my speed has gone down. Uh, my peak was when I was on a normal keyboard using QWERTY two years ago. Uh, I, I have never actually reached that yet, but it's about comfort. Your hands are just happier now. Even if you're not yeah, I was going to say, fast. but you're more comfortable, Spoo, and that's the important thing. My comfort's not important to me. <laughs> no, I I think, uh, you know, the things that improved my office life the most is buying a decent chair. So that has probably been the biggest impact on my office ergonomics. A decent chair and a decent desk is sort Actually, of... Actually, uh, this keyboard that I have, you you see the holes at the back. You can attach it to armchairs of your keyboard, so the two split halves are on your hand. And ah, that would work well with my chair because I've got one of the ones where those armrest things they move around absolutely everywhere. Oh, have you got one of the super fancy ones? Yeah, I, I invested in a chair. You, I, I spent enough on a chair that you could say I invested in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like to, to be fair, like what a really really big thing that I think makes a massive difference to like working life is, and this is again one of those things where if you ha- like is I think really good during COVID and stuff is people got like a control over this. Though I'm not sure. I think a lot of people probably didn't think as much about it. Probably I thought about it too much, but like having a good chair with decent lower back support is like obviously super important. But like. I have the cheapest desk chair you can get from Ikea that's got like a really firm back. It's like $100 and it's perfect. Like it's really supportive. I love it. But the thing for me that is really helpful for comfort at the desk is desk height. Because like if you have a slightly lower desk, it just that everything goes out of whack really quickly. So I just need like literally it's like five or 10 centimeters higher than the average desk height. So I just bought a desk that I could, I, it's not even a movable desk. I could just make it slightly higher when I built it, when I when I screwed it together. That's it. And then I I, I got a custom desk um, at the office at the office for the company. Um, they were replacing desks in there. I was like, I don't want the desk that you guys are getting. I'm just going to get a custom desk to a custom height. And I literally just went measured this desk to the floor. It was like, yeah, that's the height. That's the correct height. And again, you're like, oh, thank fuck. It's so like good to just like have your arms at the right height when every when you're typing when you're working whatever it's just i'll like tell you, you centimeters really matters i don't know if i'm being crazy but it feels like such no no it's it, it's it's it makes a difference the the game changer for me um in particular like and this is a combination of desk and chair is actually being able to have the armrests just just go under the edge of my desk so that my elbows when i'm when I'm, my hand, key, hands are on my keyboard my elbows are just resting on my chair. That makes a big at, at the right height, so I'm not like slouched or hunched. It's just like sat sat there at the right height. I can get a full full width of my keyboard. Um, yeah, and then I mean that kind of actually makes me want to use um, shortcuts and stuff a lot more as well, rather than reaching for the mouse. So I've started using you know Mac shortcuts a lot more to jump around windows and stuff rather than reaching for the um, the mouse all the time. 
I mean, once you get a really comfy keyboard, you'll just learn all that shit because you'll be like, why would I ever use anything but, uh, you know, control left, right to shift around? Well, actually, no, wait, it's not. Is it control? What is it? It's so in my muscle memory that I can't even think what it is because it's just yeah, lower like, layer. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's control and left and right. Yes. <laughs> I had to think about it a second because uh, my, my arrow keys are on the lower layer. So the... I'm using the lower layer of the keyboard to get to the arrow keys, but not because the control key is different. Spoo's probably sitting down there Spoo's thinking. Like, hmm, he's not got a he's not got an optimized layout. Clearly, no, I none shit. of this is Linux. Shits on this fucking <laughs> layout. Um, do do you use Linux day to day, Spoo? Or are you like on a Mac or? I'm on Windows. I use WSL. Oh, oh, you use WSL, do you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I I'm not. Uh, rich enough to have two computers, so I need Windows. I I had to just make the change at one point. Um, I used to use Windows for certain things and Mac for certain things, and it, it was just annoying. And so I just had to rip the Band-Aid off and go like just to one or the other. The problem I found with for you know DevOps with Windows is just that like it feels so much more native in Linux or or Mac. Um, than in Windows, and specifically when you need to have access to USB via a uh, Linux console, um, doesn't really work uh, with WSL. So that was yeah, I think more they're or less bringing with the next release of WSL. I'm sure they they're going to keep constantly improving it, but um, I did like the isolation of it a little bit. Uh, I found it annoying to get to the files. Um, you can dual like, boot. That's always there. A what? Dual boot. Oh, dual boot. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. You could dual boot in the Linux. There's always that option. Um, I have just found though that like the tools available and stuff on Mac are pretty far ahead of what you can do in Windows for what for my specific use case. So I guess it's probably you know not that. F- different i guess if you're if you're coding i guess it's probably not that much of an issue like there's go for windows right and then your your visual studio and everything well, you'll, you know, you'll be in, you'll be in wsl anyway so yeah and i guess yeah. you can just connect vi- uh visual studio code straight to um wsl too right yeah yeah i use wsl just to build the binaries because uh it's hard to build stuff for windows but Everything else I do via Windows. So VS Code runs from Windows itself. It's just oh, so, all right, okay. So had, why, had, do you, there... why do you do that? Not dual boot, like out, out of pure curiosity, because I I used to run Windows um, Linux dual booted off a Windows machine, and I literally had Windows just in case like work sent me a fucking PowerPoint or something, and like I'd just be in Linux like ninety percent of the time, and it was just it was like a you know like a secondhand refurb. Lenovo Carbon, you know, one of the Ultrabooks, like the ThinkPads are fucking rad. And it was like an eight gigabyte RAM machine, but it was still like on fucking even Ubuntu, it was just so fast. And like I had like a, I got given a work machine in the end that was like 16 gig or maybe even more RAM Mac. And the Mac wasn't as fast as the Windows machine with eight, the, the Linux machine with eight gig of RAM because it was just, so fucking efficient. It's just such a light OS by comparison. Yeah, I, I don't do it because um, I, 
I usually use Windows just for like entertainment reasons. So it's like, and I, it's not like I work continuously, like I work from home. So it's like switching back and forth. So You do it for the gaming. I did it specifically just for Overwatch and Dota. That's like nothing else. <laughs> no, okay. No, now I understand it because there is nothing more frustrating than a, being a Mac user who wants to kind of goof off for about half an hour a day while you're at your desk and you go, you open up Steam and you're like, oh shit. Isn't there a new Homeworld coming out? Yeah, not for fucking Mac users, it's not. Like, there's certain games you can play on Mac, and as a result, I have put way too many, like XCOM works on Mac, Into the Breach works on Mac, FTL works on Mac, very fucking little else works on Mac. High Fleet, I really wanted to play that. Fucking no, you don't get that. Um, that new fucking space sim that's like Homeworld, whatever that's called, Falling Frontier, that looked really fucking sick. Is it for Mac? Is it fuck? <sighs> I, I got a Switch thinking maybe that would be my gaming device, but I don't like controllers. I prefer keyboards. So that was a waste. Fair. Um, so so I, I actually don't game at all. But that's because you're a boomer. No, it's because I, I, I'm too addictive. So when I was at college, I I used to be stuck on Dota 2. I'd just play that shit every day and it ruined about two years of my life. So I had to actually just cut off gaming and never game again. (laughs) There's no moderation. You you have such an addictive personality that you cannot fucking game anymore and you thought it was a good idea to get into crypto. Yeah, it's... mm. Yeah, I, I do ha- like, you know, I, I get really into things. And like, it was a big problem for me. Like, getting off Dota was like breaking that routine kind of really fucked me for a little bit. And uh, I just don't want to experience that again. So I just stay right the fuck away from games. There's plenty of other shit for me to do anyway. Like, I kind of feel like I'm pretty time poor. And I feel like if I played games, I'd be really time poor because they're like really fun so i sometimes put on let's plays in the background when i'm working so i feel like i still have video games in my life but i realistically don't have time to play them anymore and it makes me really like i really wanted to get involved in battlefield 2042 when that came out i was like i love i love big online arena shooters with loads of vehicles even though i'm shit at them and i was just like this is not a thing i can actually do in my life anymore so i'm just gonna have to put on let's plays while i'm fucking around on the command line on remote servers and i'm gonna have to pretend that that i got to play that game it's quite sad actually now i've said it out loud it sounds really fucking sad doesn't it what a first world problem oh yeah you just have to wait a couple of years and you can do it with your child and call it call it father bonding lego star wars i've realized the only reason lego star wars exists is because parents want to an excuse to play video games like every every bloke i've worked with who is like a few years older than me has been like fucking let me tell you i don't get to play call of duty but lego star wars and i'm like and then now i see it and i'm like ah, i see i see this is in my future it, it's looking enticing now <laughs> but yeah 100 percent. either that or just go straight to cod with like a three-year-old be like so we need to make the bad people go away <laughs> I feel like so having kids is just carpet bomb their village and then the surrounding villages just to be certain. And then it's not a war crime. It's going to be uh, a police action. And this is, this is called international relations, little one. Anyway, now it's time for your bath. Um, 
that's do you think dads enjoy being dads so much just because of all of the shit they get to do that they couldn't do before without being like why are you doing that for example play games or even just like go outside (laughs) i think there's probably a tipping point i mean i don't know i i haven't got there yet but like when when they're a bit older and you can be like we're gonna go ride a bike or play around in a sandpit i'm fucking looking forward to making sandcastles for starters um lego star wars already mentioned that board games fucking big like board i don't you know there's only two of us in the house so like you know we a lot of board games there aren't enough people to play but when the little one can play board games there's three of us that unlocks a lot of other board games you know my partner loves playing board games shit you on wingspan yet i mean speaking of like we're trying to sell you fucking uh fucking ergonomic keyboards right we i feel like me and spoo have maybe done a hard sell that hasn't been fully successful but wingspan so you didn't let me finish correct i fucking hate board games (laughs) (laughs) but my partner every every year when we go to like christmas and shit with um my partner's family they're all like big into board games and i'm like the grouch that doesn't want to play the fucking things i'm like i just want to get drunk and relax what was the trauma what was the trauma in your childhood nothing i'm just bad at board games especially like you know the ones where the general knowledge like trivia and stuff we're talking about good board games here come on they they love that one what's that one where you've got like all the numbers and you have to oh no letters is what is not scrabble scrabble no, no, no. No, I think it's numbers. There's a number I, version of Scrabble as well where you put in like plus sign, minus sign to make the numbers match. No, this one's like you've got like a little panel. You've got like all these numbers. There's a lot of math involved. There's sequences you have to make. I don't know. It sounds like, look, look, annoying. It sounds like you're getting pissed off about games that aren't like fun board games like Catan or fucking pandemic or wingspan or whatever that have actually yeah. been designed with a lot of thought and care into their mechanics i've never heard of any of those but well, i mean you yeah. play some better board games then i feel like spoo do you play board games do you ever play board games do you have opinions on board games not a lot i have played wingspan and what do you think of wingspan i can't see myself really like i played it twice and the first time i was the last one because it is very complicated and you know learning which to prioritize but second time i came in like third and i was like okay i can see myself getting into this i just haven't been able to play it again so for a game for me like what i'm say if if i'm in a social environment and you know there's a there's game playing going on yeah like i really lean towards things that require me to not think like jenga is great i just like pulling out the little bits i I can get on board with that for those listening later, Jacket P Potato has said in the chat, Jenga's the only game you need. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's maybe true. Know, it's fun. You get drunk, you pull the bars out. It's... For for a very but like long if time. I'm there and I have to read the fucking rules of something, you know, the fun's already gone. Like I should send you like a copy of Deep Sea Adventure. That's a pretty simple game, and it's funny because you're sending interns to the bottom of the sea to collect treasure and if they fuck it up they drown and the kind of drowning interns mechanic humors me humors me god i'm tired um pleases me <laughs> <laughs> if it please you 
<laughs> please, please. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the interns don't make it back. Now, sometimes the interns don't make it back. Um, that's I feel a like a lot. cool little German board. I think it's a German board game, but um, Man, that's 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 a really weird sounding game. By the way, well, you just you have a submarine, right? And then you you each have to send down a, a little a little you know sucker to go collect some treasure for you. But everybody shares the same air supply, right? So if one person gets greedy, everybody drowns. But you're still safe in the submarine, telling your interns what to do. It's it's great. It's just I mean, it's actually like kind of capitalism because you, I guess, bankrolled the expedition. So you're just like, yeah, let's maybe dive a little deeper, see if there's some more treasure down there. <laughs> is it, it doesn't always work out for them? Is this a board game? Yeah, it's a little like uh, it's it's uh, it is I think what's called a cafe board game. It's like very small. So you can play it on like a small table uh, with like four to four players, something like that. I mean, it sounds quite complex. Like, it takes about five yeah. minutes to to learn it, and then like I don't know for about fifteen minutes to play the three rounds. It's pretty quick. What I mean is, like the what you're explaining here seems like you would need all this. I don't know how you represent that on a little board game. Oh, we have little little gubbins for for treasure, and then you have some meeples for the interns. And you're obviously like just sitting in the submarine, this little card submarine. You just kind of it's always baffled me is like dice based board games. It's like there's absolutely no like I mean the whole thing's just a game of luck, right? Well no, like- the the dice is to take is to level, partly level the playing field, isn't it? I'm talking about like things like snakes and ladders, like you throw the fucking oh, right. dice and you move your bit. Like yeah, but snakes and ladders is- yeah, there's no strategy in that. It's just it's it's a it's a representative of life. You know, you can just get fucked, and there's nothing you can do about it. You start from scratch. Did the, you just say it's the, game, it's the game of life? <laughs> you just fucking roll the dice. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it. I think like it's important to teach children that you only have very little control over your life. Now, it's children, about lack of no matter what you do. So, no so no, what you, you actually, do, where you go today, you're fucked anyway. You're going down that ladder. <laughs> You've stumbled onto a point of of you, sir, have obviously not looked up the historical context of Stakes and Ladders. Stakes and Ladders is based off of um, essentially, like like Spoo says, it is a uh, it is a teaching mechanism from the Indian subcontinent to teach about the uh, like the kind of circular circular nature of luck and fate, and that you always end up back at the bottom. It's um, you, what's the thing about you know the, the the there's the you know the famous thing from um for there's the latin story about you know don't step on my you know you can step on my wheel and i'll raise you up on my shoulders but don't be surprised when i cast you down again it's the same thing but the, the whole point is it's a morality tale right snakes and ladders and then somebody just went oh yeah we can probably just package this and sell it even though it's literally the, you lose that's that's literally the point of the game um, it's an incredibly boring fucking game. I'll tell you that. Well, it's not. It's not a game. That's. It's been packaged as a game for children, but it's actually not a game. The same way, it, you know, Monopoly lizard, is. No, it's a lizard. We, we know Monopoly is not a game either. It was. It was a. I think from memory, it's Quakers. It's a satire of capitalism designed to show that everybody loses, and that even when you win, you get upset, and everybody hates you, and when you lose, you just feel miserable, and you never want to play the game again, and. Somebody thought, oh, this this game is good. We should sell it. And they packaged it and sold it. And everybody wonders why Monopoly causes arguments in families because it's literally by design 
it is supposed to show that the behavior required to win Monopoly is not desirable in society. Do you know what I love about Monopoly is that it's such a good analog for the real world that when the bank <laughs> runs out of money, it's in the rules to just write IOUs and shit. <laughs> yep. There's an amazing game called uh, Market Meltdown, which the the aim of that game is to model the 2008 financial crisis and it models a liquidity crisis by every time you go around the board liquidity is taken out of the game so everybody's dealing with less money but you can't write ious so you just see the liquidity collapsing but your obligations remain the same and the that you have to roll the dice to move but every other mechanic is via a roulette wheel so you have to place a bet and then roll a roulette a, a ball on a roulette wheel and that determines like the outcome of everything that's happening to you so from your point of view all that's happening is a roulette wheel is randomly causing you to owe money win money lose money whatever as you go around the board but all that's happening is liquidity is coming out of the system because of a bank run essentially it's happening in the background and so no matter what you do, you're just like, oh God, how do I get more money? There's only so much liquidity left in this. It's actually very, very relevant for crypto now I think about it. <laughs> but, but all that happens is like, you're just trying to survive longer than the opponents because everybody knows their toast in the long run because you you know the capital flight is happening. Um, it's, it's complete, it's one of the most fun and degenerate board games in existence because by the end, you have such huge accumulated debts, like after only a few turns, that you cannot survive other than by putting it all on red and just being like, roll the roulette wheel. <laughs> and it's it's great. And you're like, oh, this is why people were like, they're like, oh shit, we've got loads of mortgage-backed securities that are going fuckery over here. We better go buy insurance on our mortgage-backed securities so that we could try and insure ourselves against them blowing up when they inevitably blow up. You're like, Oh right, that's how that behavior actually happens. Like, um, so in that sense, link in the show notes, folks. Yeah, I think I think it might sadly be linked to Amazon. (laughs) I should do, shouldn't I? Like, the problem is, I think I'm only recommending board games that are mostly out of print. You definitely can get Deep Sea Adventure. That's definitely still in print. I think Market Meltdown might be out of print, and the even better game that the same designers did called War on Terror is also sadly out of print. That was just the best game which i'm not going to explain sorry War look it up. On terror. Yeah, it sounds yeah. interesting it was basically like an adv- a much more sophisticated version of risk where you could model asymmetrically just turning to be a failed state and then do asymmetric warfare against the imperial powers and it was really clever in terms of its mechanics it was really cool cool so there you go um whilst we have included spoo in the show we actually didn't talk about the conferences yet. I was going to bring that up. Uh, as someone who was unable to attend any of these things on the other side of the planet, I uh, am interested to hear so I can live vicariously through the participants' eyes. Please so, do. Go ahead. You know, which was, okay, yeah. so straight up, which was the best conference? Let's just hit a well, straight. Which conferences did you go to? Which was did the best tell one? Us, tell us the uh-huh. list and then tell us the best. Uh, I went to Awesome Awesome, ETC, and Nebular. Um, and I guess Nebular awesome was my favorite. Awesome Awesome, ETC, and Nebular. Okay. Right. Yeah, and awesome the favorite awesome was... in Berlin and the other two in Paris. What and about Nebular. the What about the OsmoCon? Did you go there? No. Uh, I, I took a 
vacation from conference and I went to Amsterdam for a weekend. So Good missed move. that. <laughs> so what was your favorite and why? Uh, uh, well, I'm not going to say ETC because, you know, this is a Cosmos validator. This is not a Cosmos validator anything. This is just a general crypto shit. Actually, I, I've been meaning to bring that up because the intro of the show is like brought by independent validators in the Cosmos and none no. of the validator and names are even in the video. Like if uh, I well, were to delegate to like where, like, how would I we, know? We have changed to just a general. So we're, we're trying to like be just more generally crypto and less like specifically Cosmos, but also mm-hmm. like, you know, we're just shit at marketing really. And that's why we don't have, any kind of reference to our validators anywhere really on this show. I think for us, we kind of just like doing it for fun anyway. So it's not really about trying to get delegations or anything. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so, so, that, so that said, you're saying ECC was your favorite. You just don't want to say that. No, I only attended one talk in ATC by a NOMA team. Uh, they, they had a, privacy focus talk called Side Matters about the privacy side, the anonymity set and, and stuff. But I, one thing I've noticed is like a lot of the ETC talks have become more and more marketing rather than teaching anybody anything. So yeah, yeah. well that is, but they had really good food. Like they had gelato right inside the vendor. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at ETH, at ETH, even at ETH, just meetups, there's a lot of shilling vaporware that will never get built. Whereas like, at least in Cosmos, like people gem- generally stand up after they've built something, even if it might not be viable and it's Cosmos. So there's a good chance it's not viable because it's not Ethereum, ironically. Um, imagine all like, okay, we shouldn't do this because it would be lame. But imagine if all the Cosmos builders who actually do ship stuff went and shipped non-vaporware in another ecosystem, people would be like, wow, that particular group of people are really productive at shipping actual code. They'd be like, oh, yeah, they all used to work in Cosmos. They're used to having to work for money. But then they would be forced to write Solidity and get exploited. Fate worse than death. I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Gelato ECC, so that's why it's your favorite. Gotcha. Okay. Bam. <laughs> Scientific. So you can yeah. bribe Spoo. If you're a conference organizer, you're listening to this podcast, you can bribe Spoo for her conference review blog, which obviously has many thousands of subscribers. I'm actually food. publishing a book Spoo. on that coming out next week, and this is my promo for the book. <laughs> there you go. That's how you do it. So my uh, like, there's not a lot of opportunity on this side of the planet to go to these bloody conferences. However, um, there is one in Korea soon for Korea Blockchain Week. Well, not really soon, but it's in a month or so. Uh, I was wanting to go to that one, but my partner vetoed it because we have to go walk across a fucking mountain for six days. So I think my only other opportunity is a bit later in the year again with Singapore. So maybe maybe I'll get there. Is that token know. token twenty forty nine? Token twenty forty nine. Yes. I nearly went to the London one last year, but then I I just thought it'd be like fucking lame and full of fin- fintech people. So I bend it off. And Artifact, who's of course the master of marketing, was like, you're a fucking idiot. You should have gone to that. It's on your doorstep. Um, and then ended up going to a fucking fintech conference this year anyway. So it shows what I fucking know. So you should go to it in conclusion. 
Uh, I definitely will if if the time slot suits and if uh, the budget allows. So there you go. Yeah. So ETHCC cover that one off. How how were ne- how was Nebula? How was uh, Awesome Wasm? Come on, what did what did we miss? Make us jealous here. Well, Awesome Wasm. Uh, uh, did you know about CWS Crack? That was like the most interesting part for me. So the Terran One team they've built like a superset language which compiles down to Rust Cosmosm. So the the typical counter contract is like ten lines of code in CWS Crack. And you just compile it and it turns into the Rust code. And as a person who's not really into Rust, um, that sounds interesting. And it's very easy to understand language. I think it's more like Ruby-esque, where it actually looks nice as well. and doesn't look complicated. So, yeah, that, that was, like, the best thing. And um, and I, I think in the last episode, you mentioned Ethan Bray's sabbatical. I, he mentioned that it was just until the end of the year. So he's going to be back next year. Oh, it's the end of the year. I thought it was just for the summer. He said to the end of the year. Wow. Okay. That's a long, I mean, I'm jealous. <laughs> that face is more, I don't, I think he deserves it, but this is the face of somebody who's jealous of a sabbatical of that land. Bears hibernate in the winter, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's, what's Nebula? What, what's that about? I don't know if there was a, there's any theme in Nebula exactly. There was a nice talk on Evmo's future direction, Evmo's 2.0. Apparently, they want to be more like a canary change Ethereum. They're going to implement like the EIPs way quicker so people can test stuff out. How the fuck would that work? <laughs> I mean, Ethereum is kind of slow with building out features, right? So yeah, Evmo's wants to do it quicker. But it's completely different, right? No, I think like stuff like the EVM. Stuff well, the VM. Probably... I think what Spoo is talking about is like implementing VM level um, features ahead of Ethereum. So the features that Ethereum want to implement, they want to recreate into Evmos initially. I think they're just going to ship them before. So if they're like not yet live in ETH, they're going to be shipped ahead of time. On. I, I mean, guess what, I'm, what what I mean is like. Is it directly like compatible? Or do they not have to rewrite it to suit? I think the well, whole point is like you can cross deploy the contracts, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. If they're contract based, yeah. But I mean, it's back to the thing of like, like Evermos is an interesting idea. If they had shipped know, six months earlier, eight months earlier, then they'd have been maybe a lot like, more likely to get like, for want of a better word, like a, survi- a survivable level of traction. Whereas well, it, I just don't I, see that they have a USP anymore, really. Like being a bit a bit faster than Ethereum, being substantially cheaper, fair enough. But that cuts both ways. Like Ethereum has deep liquidity and then VCs and all the other shit. Not that VCs are necessarily a good thing. I mean, I actually tend to think they're a super bad thing. But the reality is a lot of teams don't have a product that makes money for a long time. So they look to VCs and people to pay their salaries in the interim. And like you can do all of that stuff you know, over in ETH, the the gas fees and stuff are like just part of the other side of that, you know, uh, equation. But without all that, then, you know, that's the value of the token, right? So it's all part of that economic system. Maybe a bit of a broken economic system, but at least it's like... Mm. So it seems to me then that like as far as the economics of the blockchain is concerned, I think they've probably concentrated on the wrong ecosystem. If they're compatible in both, like maybe they should have put their put some marketing power into the Ethereum 
area, you know, try and uh, I think sort they of- did to be fair. Like it's just that they kind of missed the the end of the last bull, really, which is when you have the most eyeballs on you. But then I guess, you know, that still doesn't help when you're a year and a bit into a bear market, does it? Because you're still fucked. Um, but I mean, when you think of Evmos, you don't really think Ethereum, do you? You still sort of consider it to be a Cosmos chain. Yeah. 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 That's well, true. well, maybe that's just from our perspective, being more involved in that particular ecosystem. I don't know if, like, I don't really have a perspective from an Ethereum ecosystem participant. Maybe they are known and popular i don't know